podcasting today. Um, wow, what, a, what an awesome morning so far. I mean, we really could probably just close in prayer. Like, really, you know, we're not here to, to have worship and have a message and have amazing ministry. We're here to encounter Jesus. And he can come in all those ways and through all those different avenues. But I feel like we've been really encountering Jesus already this morning. So you'll have to forgive me if uh, maybe I do an abbreviated message today. Thank you for not cheering. Well, my name is Sean. Um, I've been on staff here for a while now, uh, actually a little over 10 years. And uh, before that was about two years part-time. I was running, uh, directing our school of supernatural ministry. And so uh, it's been really, really cool to see Zion go through so many different sort of seasons and faces and what God is doing in each season is unique. How many of you found that what God can do in your life two years ago is different than what God's doing in your life now? It might be different than what he's doing in your life in six, seven, eight weeks. You know, one of the, one of the cool parts about following Jesus is uh, you don't know where he's going all the time. You know, and sometimes we want to know more than uh, would be good for us to know. Does that make sense? Like we want the whole plan, and his plan is that you just trust him. Amen. We want the whole plan to see everything because we want to know. We, it's a good desire, but his ways of actually leading us are often different than the ways that we would want to be led. How many of you found that? Yeah. I want to talk about um, just two things this morning. Um, man, I just, God's presence is really thick, guys. I'm doing my best, doing my best. But wherever you're at right now, you know, wherever you're at right now, just open up your heart. The pressure's off, okay? Just open up your heart right now to more of Holy Spirit. Just, just right where you're sitting, right where you are, just lean into him while I'm speaking today, and let's see what happens. Um, we have something really special, actually, for married couples right at the end of service today, too. And we're going to be, can I say that? We're going to be prophesying over married couples today. Come on, Jesus. So uh, afterwards, Cheryl, I'm not sure if we're going to give instruction later, but we'll give a little bit of instruction. I think you're lining up on some side of the thing and just come and do that. So it's going to be, it's going to be powerful and really good. So, um, so we, uh, we have a, a ministry school called the Columbus School of Supernatural Ministry. We meet on uh, Sunday nights. And this quarter is on identity. So we've been talking about identity. Oh, you don't have to. It's not an ad. I'm not trying to. But thank you. Thank you, uh, media team. Uh, but we've been talking about identity this quarter. And uh, it's been really, uh, it's always a journey when we begin to talk about identity, when we begin to talk about um, matters of the heart. And how God wants to come in and maybe rearrange some matters of our heart. Uh, I've, heard it, I've heard it said, and I think it's really true, that sometimes we're kind of like a, an onion and different layers come off in different seasons. Right when you're like, oh no, I had like a really hard season and I, now I'm in a powerful season, God might kind of refine something else. But rather than always want the season that you desire, what if you just started desiring Jesus in your season? Does that make sense? So, so we, we often want the instant gratification of whatever we desire, 
versus actually looking to the one who gratifies all of our desires, Jesus. Does this make sense? So like within the season that you're in, if it's a refining season, if it's a mountaintop season, if it's, if it's a season of searching and you're seeking Jesus right now, I just want to encourage you that you can find him in your season. He, he, he's not outside of the season waiting. He, it, your life, okay, for all you gamers, your life is not a video game and you're waiting to get to the next level. You're not going to accomplish this season to get more of him. He's actually in the season. So if you're in a season of waiting, he's in the season. If you're in a season of your heart's desires are getting fulfilled, he's in the season. If you're in a season of transition, he's still in the season. And I think there are two things going on here when I was really praying about today that I'm going to try to talk about really briefly and gently and um, see if Jim can clean it up my mess next week uh, and just see, see if this is possible is that I believe right now the Lord showed me there's two sets of people, and all of us in the room are going to fall into one of these two categories today. We're either someone that the Lord has some surrendering that he wants to do inside of us, or we're someone that we need to take our thoughts captive, because both are obstacles for the breakthrough that you want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. That, it's, that it's taking thoughts captive, or it's a place of surrender. So can we, can we talk about both today? Yes, do my best not to do the associate pastor thing where you're packing like eight messages into one. <laughs> but I really felt like this is what God's doing today. And it might be 10 minutes. It might be, I might be seven minutes here and we'll wrap up and pray over families. And then Jim can theologically clean up my mess. It's, that's a great part about Jim speaking the week after you. Um, why don't you guys open your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians is a, a book uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Corinth, dealing with all sorts of issues of life. Um, on the first book of Corinthians, uh, addressed some different topics in the second book. And the second book of Corinthians, this passage that I want to read really has to do with what we will call in the church spiritual warfare. And uh, Steve Backlund, one of our favorite people, he's an amazing leader of, of Igniting Hope Ministries, he says that taking your thoughts captive is the highest level of spiritual warfare. That we tend to think it's driving around a city seven times or, I don't know, some, some, like, some like global event sort of warfare in your city and your town. It's actually the place of your boots on the ground in the spirit of taking your thoughts captive, not a city's thoughts captive or a town, or a family member. It's your thoughts, Captain. So let's, let's read this. It says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm going to read verse 3 again. That first time was a drive-by. Now I want you to really sink in, okay? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. Some of your Bibles might say we take every thought captive that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Here the Apostle Paul is giving the church of Corinth an amazing, equipping lesson. Is that not every thought is your thought, 
Not every thought that you're having is from the Lord, and you actually have a measure of responsibility to weigh in and take thoughts captive. Does this make sense? That, that, that oftentimes, one of the ways the enemy will attack you is to think that he's not attacking you. One of the ways the enemy wants to get in is just to begin to think that some of those thoughts you're thinking are you or are the Lord. It says that he actually goes around as an angel of light pretending to be the voice of the Lord. Does this make sense? That Paul here is saying, okay, when you take your thoughts captive, you take your beliefs captive. When you take your beliefs captive, you take your future captive. Does this make sense? That when you take your thoughts captive, you're beginning to take your beliefs captive because those thoughts come into your beliefs. Does this make sense? If you think God is, is a really angry God, you're going to start to believe he's an angry God. Have you ever found that you can project what you're thinking into the world around you? What I mean by that is this. How many of you, um, let's see, how many of you uh, are, were at one point in your life or maybe currently are uh, car shopping? You might need a new car. Right, you're, you're, you're car shopping, you're looking at cars. Have you ever found the car that you start to like, you start to see when you drive all the time? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you might really like that, you know, blue pickup truck, and now all the time you're driving, you're like, there's a blue pickup truck, the Lord's speaking to me, obviously. It's confirmation. It's confirmation, more, Lord, I want bigger tires. Where's that one, Lord, you know? That, that we can start actually what we're thinking about, we start projecting into the world around us through our lens. When we start thinking that things like God is angry, every time something happens that could, slightly, uh, per, that, that could slightly lean towards that outcome, we believe it. Oh, look, God's really hard to please because I think he is. Does this make sense? Because when we take our thoughts captive, what we're doing is we're beginning to remove what we like to call around here mixture. We take thoughts captive and we're beginning to remove mixture from God's voice in our life. Does that make sense? It's amazing what happens when we see people who get freedom in their thinking, all of a sudden get freedom in relationships, get freedom in work, get freedom in finance, get freedom in favor, get, get freedom in their calling. All of a sudden, it feels like spiritually they start running really fast because they get freedom in their thinking. Uh, how many of you know Corey Ten Boom? <laughs> Corey Ten Boom, just to give you a quick crash course, uh, was just an amazing, amazing, uh, world-changing follower of Jesus. And she lived from uh, 1892 to 1983. And uh, she was a Dutch watchmaker. On a side note, she was the first licensed female uh, Dutch watchmaker in all of Netherlands. So yay for forerunners. So her and her family were watchmakers, and they had this trade uh, in the Netherlands. And what happened is uh, around World War II, now they're, they're, they're Bible-believing uh, Christians uh, living there in the Netherlands. And in World War II, um, when the, the Nazis came and invaded the Netherlands, they helped out a Jewish family. So they helped them out because what would happen is the Nazis would come around, and they would inspect, they would look for Jews. And what they knew a family who was Jewish, so they said, would you, would, do you want to stay in our house and you can, you, like, we'll hide you. And so they did. And then what happened is some, another Jewish family heard out about, heard out about how the, the Ten Booms uh, hid this family. So they came and said, hey, you hid our friends. 
the inspection's coming up soon. We think it's going to be tomorrow. Would you, could we stay here too? We don't, won't live here, but could we stay? You know, just, could you hide us? And they said, they said of course. We're, we're followers of Jesus, of course. So they, they arranged some stuff in their house. They hid them. During that time in that area, there was called a Dutch resistance. The Dutch resistance was a, was, uh, a resistance against the Nazis. Does this make sense? So the, the Dutch, didn't, they were against the Nazis. And the Dutch resistance, a leader, found out what Corrie Ten Boom and her family were doing. And so they, they, they wanted to help. So they actually sent an architect to her house to create a hidden room behind a false wall so that he, they could better hide Jews. So the architect came, contractor, they do it all. And what happens is they start regularly hiding Jewish families now. Corey Ten Boom was an amazing, I would call her just an absolute world-changing follower of Jesus, uh, an absolute leader. And she also was really gifted uh, in the gifts of the Spirit. And so uh, around that time, you have to go to your local precinct at the Dutch Resistance to get food rations. Because keep in mind, it's World War II. The Nazis are literally in their land. And there's no food to get, but the government can give you what's called a ration that you can bring back to your home. Are you guys still with me? Just, just track with me for a little longer. And she went to go get five rations, although she only needed three for her and her family. But she, she needed them for the Jews that she was, they were keeping, that they were hiding. So that she goes, and she said she was really nervous, and she, she went to go say, I want five rations. And she went to you know, the counter of the Dutch resistance and said, I need 100 rations. And she's like, I, know, I did not mean to say that, but I said it. And they said, no problem, we're going to give you 100 because we know what you're doing. So the Dutch resistance began to essentially resource and finance this amazing thing that her and her family were doing. Amazing. They, they, it was estimated they helped over 800 Jews hide from the Nazis. Well, fast forward a little bit. You, you, I, can't, I can't go into her whole life. It's amazing. Uh, she was arrested by the, uh, by the Nazis. Her and her sister were thrown into concentration camps. Uh, in Germany, and uh, they, it's amazing the stories of how God showed up. They started leading Bible studies and leading the Jews to Jesus in these concentration camps. God's smuggling a Bible to them. You, just go on your own time and check it out. It's unbelievable stories of, of God being way bigger than the Nazis. Come on, Jesus. So they start, her and her, her sister Betsy start leading Bible study, and they're leading people to Jesus, and they're sharing about the gospel in a concentration camp in Germany. They started to see so many miracles in these concentration camps. It's unbelievable. And then finally, someone came and dragged uh, Corey Tenboom out of the concentration camp. They said, You're free, you're released. It later, the, the German forces would later recognize that it was a clerical error and she shouldn't have been released. <laughs> How many of you know God can work miraculously and in practical ways? She got released. Did you know that one week later, every woman in her age group was sent to the gas chamber? But God still had purpose for her. Does this make sense? It's an amazing story of following Jesus in her life, of being led by the Spirit. So Corey went on to write a book called The Hiding Place that really goes into uh, detail about some of this. Uh, I encourage you, you know, go check it out and read it. 
absolute hero, absolute hero. And uh, she, she, would, uh, she actually went back to Germany and uh, met the two guards that, after the war uh, and met the two guards in her concentration camp and, and forgave them and like led them to the Lord. It's just unbelievable. Just go, just go read more about, more about her. She became a speaker, an author, and, uh, and just an amazing teacher. And uh, she was at a conference uh, in, in uh, England, and her and her friend May were attending this conference. And uh, I want to read you. Are you guys still with me on this? I, I want to read you an interaction that she had with her friend May. Um, uh, they, they, now, some of you, unfortunately, can relate to this, and I forgive you ahead of time, is uh, they were at a conference, and then in between the sessions, May, her friend, had a lot, a lot of strong opinions about that, about that speaker, and they weren't complimentary. So this is what she said. She says, uh, May had strong opinions about the, the message that the speaker shared, not only the content, but the structure but the structure, too, was given a thorough going over by May. May just tore the lecture to shreds. Corey looked at her and couldn't uh, help but smile. What's the reason for all these objections, she said. Is it perhaps because you do not want to do what is demanded of you? The speaker talked about unconditional surrender to Jesus. Have you ever surrendered completely? We read in John 3, a man who came to Jesus and he was told that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, nor, nor can he enter into the kingdom of God. He has to be born again by God's spirit. Corey told May, God's spirit is here and he wants to dwell in you, but you have to make the choice. It's not as difficult as you think. Just the same, May replied, I've always had a barrier between myself and actually inviting God to come into my life. She's never, she never surrendered. She said, I've always felt like there's a barrier where I get right to that edge and I can't seem to go that next step of just yielding and surrendering my life to Jesus. Now, Corey got a word of knowledge and she said, I want you to think back. Have you ever visited a spiritualist? Have you ever visited a fortune teller? May laughed back in a mocking way and says, as a matter of fact, I did. I did allow myself to be persuaded to go to a fortune teller years ago, she said. But I don't believe in it. It didn't, it didn't do anything for me. It was only for fun. Afterwards, we had a good laugh about it. I had completely forgot about it until you asked me just now. But now I remember it very well. But surely there's no harm done. I did not believe in it a bit. May, suppose you were a soldier during a war, Corey said, and you had, a re you had to go into the enemy's territory. What if by mistake you fell into the enemy's hands by entering their territory? Do you think it would, it would help you to know, oh, excuse me, it was not my intention to come here. I just came here by mistake. Once you are in their terrain, you're at their mercy. Though you did not know, though you did not know it, a demon took possession of your heart and is creating a false barrier between you and Jesus. When you want to be converted, he comes in between. You don't understand the significance of it, and that's why it's so dangerous. Now, May didn't know what she exposed herself to. She didn't recognize the spiritual significance of it. She never took those thoughts captive. That, no, this is just for fun. Don't worry about it. You can go ahead and come in here. 
Now, Corey goes on to lead her to Jesus and tells her that how she can get free of it. That she actually says, I want you to go back and I want you to visit that moment where you are getting your fortune told with Jesus. And I want you to tell me where Jesus is and then turn to him and just simply repent of participating. She was able to do that and got saved. Come on, Jesus. When we, when we entertain those thoughts, now this is an example of actually going to a fortune teller, a psychic. When we entertain stuff that's outside of the kingdom, do you, does this make sense? It's never, it's never benign. The enemy wants you to think, oh, no, you can keep entertaining that thought. It's totally fine. It's not bothering anyone. When actually you're getting marked by the devil. Does that make sense? Obstacles and barriers are being set up without you knowing it. When we take our thoughts captive, according to Paul, we demolish those arguments. We demolish strongholds. That some of us just need to recognize, what have I believed that I have not taken that thought captive. Now, the amazing part about this is this isn't, this isn't uh, something to say to make you feel bad. This isn't something that give you no hope. The promise is actually that you can take that thing captive because you have the Holy Spirit if you want to get free. Did you know that? This isn't an eight-step program of, well, I want you to sign up for our ministry school. I hope there's hope for you. I don't know. You need to go get a sozo. You need to get prayer ministry. No, no, no. Right now, you can take your thoughts captive. No one can take your thought captive for you. You take your thoughts captive. And as we do, we begin to, to bring clarity and purity where the, before there was mixture. Now, what does it look like in the life of believers? It often looks like little gossipy lies about people around you that you start to participate with. Little thoughts that you might have about someone around you that you're not taking captive and now you're beginning to form an opinion about them that is mixed with your experience and some lies about them. It most practically looks like believing lies, and usually they're small little lies. Sometimes it's lies about church. You know, how many of you have, have gone to churches and you're like, just like May, you're going to listen to a message and be, hmm, I like point two. I really, I just, you know, I just thought he was way off with, like, the rest of it. You know, we, we become consumers. Why? Because the devil wants you a consumer, not a spirit-filled, powerful, life-giving follower of Jesus. Did you know you can sit in a chair and consume, and the person next to you is getting their life transformed? That it's, it's, it's not, there's not, there's not a special anointing in that chair next to you. But you just might have to take your thoughts captive. You might have to recognize some stuff that's getting in between you and that, that promise. What we talked about today on the precipice of something. How many of you know, if you're in the room, taking your thoughts captive is not your neighbor's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Amen. And the beauty is this, is that you begin to take thoughts captive, you begin to get free. You begin to get free. Yay. Come on. It's a, good, it, 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 it's, a good, it's a good idea to begin to take your thoughts captive. Now, I, I want to kind of transition. You know, taking your thoughts captive is, is an act of warfare, according to the scriptures. That we take our thoughts captive, what we do is we begin to invite Holy Spirit to give us his thoughts about situations, about people, 
about circumstances. And when we begin to partner with God in our thoughts, all of a sudden, things in our life begin to change. When we begin to surrender that space, we, we're, we're giving more real estate to Jesus to come into our life, to come into our heart. So I want to talk a little bit about surrender. The first thing I want to say is the irony of surrender is that it's extremely liberating. The irony of surrender is that it's extremely liberating. Now, the worldly view of surrender is that there's an unconditional surrender is a surrender in which no guarantees are given to the surrendering party. So the worldview is you surrender, I give you no guarantees to you who's surrendering. The kingdom worldview is that it's in surrender that all you have are guarantees about the future. Does that make sense? That you're not giving something up. See, in, in, in the world, you're giving something up. In the kingdom, you're getting everything. And, and, and there, there, there's big surrender, your life to Jesus. But then there's also the daily surrender. There's also the, the seasonal surrender. Does that make sense? That when we surrender, rather than we're, we're giving up we're, 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 we're giving up something and not knowing what we're getting, when we surrender, we actually position ourselves to get more than we can ask, think, or imagine. <clears throat> now, surrender is also an act of trust. How many of you guys found that to be the case? Surrender is an, is an active act of trust. Surrender means I'm not surrendering my life to an unknown God, I'm surrendering my life to a God who knows me inside and out. And that means it's relational. That means it's an act of relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> I once had a bulldog. I promise this sort of has to do with what I'm saying. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, his name was Brick. I heard someone say that. Uh, and uh, at one point, Brick was a foster dog. And he was a very, um, just think of a loud, snorty, snoring English bulldog that probably needed to eat a few less kibbles. And uh, um, he didn't like a whole lot of activity. And he liked walking short walks. And praise the Lord, it works on my schedule. I'm like, that's my kind of, that's my kind of dog. Um, and uh, Brick was an amazing, amazing dog. And at one point, he was a foster, and so I adopted him. And I uh, became close with the foster family that had him before, and they also had a bulldog. And so they would go out of town occasionally, and they would call me and say, hey, could you watch our dog, Boomer? And uh, also an English bulldog, of course. And I said, yeah, like, sure. Now, Boomer was the opposite of my dog. My dog, would, you would not confuse him with, like, a greyhound, athletic-looking dog. Boomer was an English bulldog who actually was oddly, like, wildly athletic. It, it could jump and do, do normal dog things, basically, and uh, was fast and all this. And so um, I, I would dog sit. And how many of you ever dog sat before and had to, watch, had to walk two dogs before at the same time? So I would walk these dogs, and uh, about two-thirds of the way through, uh, three-quarters of the way through, Boomer, as we were walking, he would just decide, I don't want to walk anymore. And he would just lay down on the ground. And he, I don't know how, but he got forcibly heavy. I couldn't move him. He was like digging into something. I have no idea. And I just couldn't move him. He became like an anchor on the ground. And, and, and uh, 
I, I, I just, I'm walking in the neighborhood, and I saw I just have to stand there for like 10 minutes. Because he just, he's just like looking at me. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to move. And then we would just wait. Well, after about 10 minutes, he decides, oh, okay, uh, I'd like to move again. So he would get up, and he would just begin to move. He mostly tolerated me. He, he didn't listen to me. None of my commands, none of the instruction, none of the tugging, none of the normal things was helping him. Now, meanwhile, my dog, Brick, he would literally, as I'm waiting for Boomer right here holding the leash, Brick would be sitting on my feet looking up at me as though, what next? Like, what are we doing? That's looking more and more appealing to him as laying down. But, but, but he would just sit there. Have you ever walked a dog that they just like jerk the chain really hard and they're just hard to keep hold of? You know, I think sometimes we're like that with Jesus, that you're like, oh, I'm surrendered, but I'm going to run as hard as I can in the direction I want to go. I, 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 I want to I do things my way, and, you know, I'm surrendered. Okay, oh, man, I, I'm, not, I'm trying not to get in trouble. I, I'm, I'm living life with God, like, yeah, like, I'm going to church, I'm in ministry school, you know, and, but, and then about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through that amazing season, I don't like it anymore, so I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop until I feel like it again, until I feel it, until I am externally or internally motivated or inspired again. Am I connected to any hearts in the room? Is it, is it, it happens way too often. Is we see a season that God is working in your life, but are you trusting him with where he's leading you? Or do you, 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 it's a murky outlook, you're not sure. And so I'm just going to drop anchor for a little bit. I'm just going to chill out and really not move forward on some stuff that I was moving forward on. Corey Tenboom, uh, one of maybe her most favorite quotes is, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You know, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That, that place of active trust surrender is mostly tested when you feel like I don't know how to move forward and I'm about to take the wheel myself. I'm about to take things again into my own hands. How many of you know that didn't work the first time? It's not going to work the 78th time. When you begin to say, oh, enough is enough. I'm tired of waiting. I'm, I, does this make sense? I, I, God's leading a direction in my life that I'm not sure about. So uh, I'm just going to take that again. Instead of trusting God for the future, that listen, he's going to get you into your calling and destiny. It's way better than what you think it is. Even where you're at right now, there's still more to it. And he has a way of getting you in it in a way that you would, could never navigate there yourself. So when we talk about surrender, we're talking about, God, I trust you. The way that I've trusted you with my past and covering me in the blood of Jesus, I trust you with my future of where I'm going. So we often, we often as believers, as believers, we learn from our past more than we learn from our future. We, we learn from our past too much and we learn from our future too little. Does this make sense? When, when, we're, when we're surrendering, we're, we're saying, God, change me into the person my future is calling me to become. And I'm not going to get up and try to, take, try, try to do things my way. Are you guys still with me? And the last thing is when it comes to 
this kind of these demands of surrender, the cost of surrender is not going your own way like we talked about. Is dropping your agenda. Is dropping your all of your agendas. No, all of them. Can I say it's dropping your political agenda? Can I say it's dropping your agendas? This is what the Bible talks about, laying your crowns at Jesus' feet. Like dropping your stuff. Drop, surrender is I am dropping all these things down with you, Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm not moving, I'm not active, I'm not actively following, but I'm not going to bring my stuff and sprinkle a little Jesus name on it. Am I getting too close to home to people? Does this make sense? It means dropping my agendas. Dropping even the ambition that I feel like is part of my future, I'm going to surrender that so that I can be led by the Spirit to navigate there the way God wants me to get there. Even godly, righteous desires are powerful, but you guys, we have to partner with Holy Spirit of what that looks like. Does that make sense? Partnering with Holy Spirit is the whole thing. Partnering with Holy Spirit is a reward of surrender, is that we now get to partner with him for our families, for our workplace, for our futures, for our callings, that surrender can feel costly because you're laying down your stuff, all of your stuff. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, uh, amazing, uh, man, he just really led the way in healing for a number, for a couple decades when very few people were, and he would train up the church as how to see people healed and uh, you know, one of the things that he said is, um, the further in you go in the kingdom, the less you get to bring with you. The more you got to surrender. The further in you go, the less, the less of your stuff you get to bring. And if you're not willing to surrender, then you're not going to go too much further. So you can be saved. You can be saved. But have you surrendered enough to step in fully to your calling, to your destiny, to your future? Are we learning from our future more than we're learning just from our past? I'm going to close with a story, um, and I, I really am one close. <laughs> I want to just close with a story um, of, you know, it, it's, it makes a difference knowing, uh, knowing who you are. Did you know that? Like, it makes a difference understanding who you are positionally, understanding who you are in the kingdom, it makes a really big difference. If you don't know who you are, you're not going to know how, you're not going to know the authority, the power, and what's at your feet, what's at your fingertips. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to move into your inheritance that Jesus bought for you. So what Jesus did at the cross, objectively and legally, the Holy Spirit continues subjectively and experientially in our life. It's really important to know who we are. If you guys want to flip open your Bibles, this is the last story, is Genesis 27. This is it. Oh, no, that, that wasn't the close. That was the prequel to the close. This is the close. That wasn't even a story. I was just giving context to the story. Are you guys doing okay? We're going to end here. We're going to end here and, and give me three minutes. But Genesis 27, this is one of the most scandalous stories in the Bible, but I think it's important because it positions us in a way that when we don't have this understanding, um, it can just make things a little more difficult than it needs to be. So Genesis 27, the story here is the patriarchs of the faith is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And this is where, at the uh, end of Isaac's life, he's going to release a blessing to Jacob. He's about to release a blessing to Jacob, uh, and he actually wants to give it to Esau. So this is a story of, of Esau and Jacob receiving the blessing uh, from their father Isaac, who's about to die. And so, uh, are you guys there? Just say, I'm there, if you got Genesis 27. And I think we'll have it on the screen behind us, if we could. Genesis 27, I'm going to read out of the NIV with you. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered, Esau said. Isaac said, if I am now, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. So, Get your equipment, your quiver, your bow, and go out of the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me so that I can eat, so that I may give you a blessing before I die. Verse 5 says, now Rebekah was his wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. How many of you found your wife listens when you speak sometimes? <laughs> when Esau left for the open country to hunt for game and to bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, the younger son, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give uh, you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, son, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. Go out to the flock and bring in two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for you, uh, for your father, just the way he likes it. Verse 10, then he takes, then he, uh, take it to your father to eat so that he may give his blessing to you before he dies. Verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the, first call, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go out and get them for me. I'm going to paraphrase a few verses. It says that, that Jacob went, uh, got the goats, and Rebekah prepared all the food for him, for, for Isaac, just the way that he liked it, all while Esau was out kind of doing it the right way, hunting and looking for uh, a choice animal to bring back uh, to Isaac. Are you guys with me? All right, go ahead. Uh, go down to verse 20. It says that Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Because he prepared the food and gave it to him. The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Verse 22, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Now what happened is Rebekah put fake goat skin on Jacob's arms so that when he went before Isaac, who couldn't see well, you, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Next verse. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Is anyone feeling like this is wrong? <laughs> like, is this not the most scandalous story? Verse 25, then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought him some wine and he drank it. Next verse, then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. Verse 27, so he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness and an abundance of grain and new wine. We'll stop there. This, I used to read this, and I used to be like, this gets me so upset. This is so wrong. And then what happens is Isaac gives a blessing to Jacob, and then the, it's there. He can't get it back. Jacob has it. Esau comes back in the field like, what happened? And Isaac's like, I'm so sorry I gave the blessing to Jacob. I used to read this and be like, I'm skipping that chapter, Lord. It just feels so scandalous and so wrong. Until I started reading it with Jesus. Do you know this is a story on identity? Do you know this is a story about your identity? That you are Jacob in this story. You do not, you do not possess a birthright. You did not earn it, but yet you received the inheritance. Does this make sense? Why? Because your older brother Jesus went out and did it all perfectly for you. So that when you go before the Father, he smells the smell of his firstborn on you. Does this make sense? That when you go before the Father, you're positionally in a... You are, when he go, Listen, listen. It's as though the fragrance of his firstborn Jesus is on you every time you go to God. And, and, and it, says, it says that that fragrance elicits blessing. It's like it, he, just, he has to bless him. It's the smell of his firstborn. It's not you. It's the smell of his firstborn. It's this mixture of you and Jesus, the fragrance of Christ in your voice, coming before the Father. And actually, it's his voice, Jacob's voice. Does this make sense? That the Father heard. And release, what did it say? Heaven's due. That is another realm that you have an entitlement to. That's a different category of inheritance. Then when we talk about surrender and taking our thoughts captive, it's so that we can live and operate under the blessing that we actually have because of what Christ has done for us at the cross. That we go before, we go before God and he responds to us as though we are Jesus. Why? Because we are clothed with Christ just like Jacob had this hair on him that wasn't his. He had this skin on him that wasn't his. Whatever it is that God's asking to surrender or take thoughts captive is a relatively small ask in the picture of your inheritance. Does that make sense? Then when you go before the Lord, he's not looking at all the stuff you're still doing wrong or sideways. He's looking as though, have you accepted my son Jesus? Because that's all I smell. That's all, that's, all, that's, all, that's all that is coming to his nostrils is the aroma of Christ on you because you have become one with him. So that's why Jesus says things like, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. It's not because you read devotions three days in a row and you're in triple blessing mode from the Lord. It's not because you come to church every Sunday. It's not because you come to our school of supernatural ministry, which is a good idea. It's, it's, because, it's because of where you are positionally in the kingdom. And your inheritance is that of this world, the grain and the wine, but also it says the dew of heaven is actually your inheritance, is another kingdom. When we take our thoughts captive and we surrender, we begin to live out of heaven instead of just from earth. We begin to step into who we are relationally with the Lord. Even when your circumstances don't say so. Even when it feels scandalous, 
This story is a, is a scandalous story of grace. So why don't you guys just stand up right now, and that was it. I'm closed. <laughs> and I want you to just, just put your hand on your heart right now. And... and...